Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Habakkuk chapter 3. This book of Habakkuk is often not talked about a whole lot, but I want to take just 15, 20 minutes and kind of draw out some truths from Habakkuk chapter 3 that I think are needed. How many of you have ever had a bad day? How many of that day is today? No, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever had a bad month? A bad year? Okay. We go through times like that, right? And sometimes what happens is when we're in the middle of those dark days, we're in the middle of those valleys, we can wonder, how am I going to get through this? And you may even get to the place where you're not asking the question, how am I going to get through this? You may actually get to the place where you boldly declare, there's no way I'm getting through this. I mean, you're looking at the financial pressures, you're looking at the job challenges, you're looking at the pain in the marriage, you're looking at the challenges that you're facing in various aspects of life, and you're looking at it all and you're thinking, there's no hope. There, there, there's nothing. There's no glimmer of hope. And you're looking at it thinking, how in the world is this going to work out? How can I make it through these challenges? Well, what is interesting about the book of Habakkuk is the first couple of chapters, he has a lot of these feelings. And so in Habakkuk chapter 1, he is looking to God, and he's almost pointing his finger in God's face, and he's looking at God, and he's saying, where are you when I need you? And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in a place where the, the bottom has dropped out of life, and you're looking at God, and you're saying, God, I'm crying out to you, but I'm not hearing anything in return. Where are you? I believe that you exist, but where are you? Are you ignoring me? Later in chapter 1 into chapter 2, Habakkuk asks the question, God, are you fair? I mean, he sees things happening around him. He's saying, God, this is not fair. This isn't right. Why are you blessing this person and ignoring me? Why, why are you not do, dealing with this? He's looking, saying, God, life's not fair. How you're treating me is not fair. And maybe you've been there. You're wondering, why did my coworker get the raise? <laughs> they don't do the work I do. Maybe you've been there. Later in chapter 2, he looks to God and says, God, do you punish sin? And he's examining everything that's going on around him, and he sees the wickedness in the world and the evil in the world and the, the, the torture of God's people in the world, and he's looking at it and says, God, why don't you intervene and do something? God, I see all of this taking place. I thought you were holy. I thought you were righteous. Why are you not intervening and dealing with this mess? God, I don't think you're fair. See, the reality of these questions that Habakkuk poses to God is that we all face things in life where we wonder those exact same things. God, where are you when I need you? Because I'm crying out to you and you're silent. God, are you fair? Because it, doesn't, it sure doesn't seem like you're treating me fairly. God, do you punish sin? Because I'm, I'm being affected by all this wrong around me. And God, you're not doing anything about it. All of that can lead to this question, how can we get through this? And I realize that some of you may have come in this morning and the question on your mind is, how can I get through this? The pain is severe. The weight is heavy. The emotional toll that this is taking is unending. And I'm in this place, and you're looking at it, and you're taking a step back, and you're saying, there is no hope. I want you to know there is hope. I want you to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and no, the light is not a train. 
Some people say, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and then, and then you just get run over. There is hope. Well, if you have your, on, on, have your bulletin on the back, I want to walk through just a few things. And some of these we're going to go through very quickly. I mainly want to focus on these three main points, but I'm going to give you all these blanks. So some of this we're going to go through quickly. But Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 says this. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Now, we all know what Shigianoth means, so we'll just skip over that. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are a little nervous right there. Shigianoth is one of the few words in the Bible that's only used once, and it's one of the only words in the Bible that we really don't know what it means. In fact, I went to a Hebrew dictionary this week and looked it up, and it had Shigianoth, colon, and a big blank. That doesn't happen often. Some people think that this is an idea that this prayer that Habakkuk was praying had a rhythm to it that made it more like a song. Um, but quite honestly, we can't know for sure. But what I want you to notice, first of all, on your outline is how, how do we respond to these situations? Number one, we spend time in prayer. Notice verse one, a prayer of Habakkuk. So often what we do is we make prayer our last resort instead of our first option. The first thing that Habakkuk's doing as he's looking at all of these situations, he's looking at the pain, the pressure, the turmoil that's going on around him. The bottom of life is dropping out, and he pauses and says, I've got to spend time in prayer. But what is interesting about this in verse 2 is that there's some specific components of his prayer. See, what we oftentimes do is we make the prayer all about us. We go to God in prayer. If we do go to God in prayer, we go to God in prayer, but then we make the prayer all about us and our circumstances. And so we go and we say, God, you, you need to fix this. And God, you need to change this. And God, you need to listen to my advice. God, here's how you need to fix the solution. What is interesting about the prayer of Habakkuk is that it's not like that. The, the prayer of Habakkuk is not self-focused. The prayer of Habakkuk is not focused on the circumstances. And it's not general in nature. He doesn't just go to God and say, God, I'm going through a difficult time. Fix it. He goes to God in prayer and basically lays out several important truths that I would say when we are going through these dark days and these valleys, this needs, these things need to be components of our prayer. And again, I'm going to give you these quickly. Here's the first one, reverence for the message of God. Verse 2, Lord, I've heard the report about you and I stand in awe of your deeds. He basically says, God, I've heard what you're doing and I know you're working in other places and I can see how you're intervening in other people. God, and when I hear about what you're doing and I hear about the, the message of what you're doing, God, I'm in awe. There's a reverence. There's a respect. It's the idea that through, through what God had been doing in other places, God had gained this reputation. And Habakkuk says, I've heard about that and I have respect for that. B, there, he prays. And there's a desire to see God's work revived. Verse 2, revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. I love going through the Old Testament. And um, many of you may be familiar with many of the Old Testament Bible stories. But through that, we hear of how God has worked, right? I mean, you hear about the children of Israel in Egypt and how God leads them out of Egypt and they come to the sea and they parts and they walk across on dry land. You hear how God provided manna from heaven, how God provided water from a rock, how he led them um, through, the, through the wilderness with a cloud and with fire. And we look at all these things and we're like, that would be amazing. Basically what Habakkuk is saying is, God, I just don't want to hear about it. I want to experience it. And in his prayer to God, in these dark days of his life, he is looking at God and saying, God, I, I've read about what you're doing, and I've heard about the miracles, and I've heard other people talk about it, but God, I want to experience that. God, I don't want it to be just something I read about in history books. God, I don't want it to be just something that I read about in a biography. God, I want you to work in my life, and I want you to intervene in my situation. I, I, I don't want 
what I know about you simply to be hearsay based on reputation and testimony of others. I want to experience it. And there are some of you here this morning that in your heart, you're going through some difficult times and you know the stories in Scripture. And you're going through these valleys and you've seen God intervene in other people's lives. And so when you go to God in prayer, part of your prayer needs to be, God, do it with me. God, intervene here. Work in my heart. Revive me. Don't don't let it just be something I hear about elsewhere. God, I want to experience it. So we pray there was a desire to see God's work revived. And the third thing that we see in this is there was an understanding for his need of mercy. This is interesting because the first two parts of the prayer are completely externally focused. This last part of the prayer is somewhat internally focused, focused on himself, but not in the ways that we would expect. Because we would look and we would think, okay, he's going through this. And the, several weeks ago, we talked about everything that was taking place and the, the turmoil that was around them culturally. And he's looking at all of this and he says, first of all, God, I recognize something. The problem is not just out there, God. Some of the problem is right here. I am in need of mercy. God, I am in need of your intervention. God, I need you to work in my heart. God, I need you to work in my life. See, don't ever think that when you are in a difficult position and you're in a difficult stage and you're in a difficult situation in life, don't ever get so focused on the problem that you lose sight of the fact that you still need God yourself. See, sometimes we have the mindset that says, I need God to intervene in this situation, but I don't need God to intervene in my heart. And many times what God does is he will allow things into our life, allow circumstances into our life to get our attention so that he can work in our heart. And in our prayers, many times we are so focused on God fixing the problem that we never ask God to fix us. We're so focused on God remedying the situation that we never ask God to examine our own hearts and to see what needs to change in us. See, part of our prayer needs to be, God, I have a reverence for your message. I have a desire to see your work revived, but God, I need you to do a work inside me. I'm in need of mercy. Why are we in need of mercy? Well, the Bible is clear that we're all guilty of sin. And so since we're all guilty of sin, we need God to intervene. So, The first thing that you need to do in those difficult times in life is to spend time in prayer. Number two, you need to spend time in meditation. I understand when you hear the word meditation, what may come to your mind is kind of the Eastern meditation. And the Eastern meditation is basically the idea of emptying yourself. Biblical meditation is completely different. It's not about emptying yourself. It is about filling yourself with the truth of who God is and the truth of God's Word. So whenever you read in the Bible about meditating on Scripture or meditation, it's all about this idea of of filling your heart and your mind with God's Word and then um, thinking about it, chewing on it, contemplating it, digesting it. So basically what Habakkuk is saying is there's a need for us to stop talking, stop advising God, and simply Think about his truth. Any of you ever give God advice? We may not think we do. Anytime, though, we go and we say, God, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's how you need to do it. You know what we're doing? We're saying, God, here's the plan, here's my advice, fix it. Sometimes there's a need, though, for us simply to step back and just think about, meditate on truth. There's four things here I want to give you very, very quickly Um, that Habakkuk meditated on. Here's the first one. He meditated on the appearance of God. Verse 3 and 4, he says, His splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. 
This is where his power is hidden. The Bible tells us that we're to worship God in the beauty of his holiness. Focus on the appearance of God. B, on the impact of God. Verse 6, he stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. Verse 10, the mountains see you and shudder. Verse 11, sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence. It's the idea that everything is under the control of God. Say, what does this matter? What do I care that the mountains shudder at God? What do I care that the sun and the moon stand still and and that God does that? Here's what this means. If all of creation and all of nature is under the control of God, has your circumstance caught God off guard? No. Is God surprised by what you are facing? No. See, God is not caught off guard. God is not surprised. See, many times we can go through these difficult times and we can look and we can think, God's forgotten all about me. Let me assure you, God has not lost sight of you. He is not surprised by your circumstance. He is not caught off guard by your pain. He is not unaware. He he is not looking at this saying, I didn't see that one coming. Be encouraged by the fact that if all of creation and all of nature is under the authority of God, then your circumstance is also under the authority of God. It changes how you pray. He focuses C on the attitude of God. It's a reminder, you see this in verse 8 and verse 9. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? And God's basically reminding Habakkuk, everything that you've seen, I'm, I'm aware of that. And then D on the actions of God. Verse 12 through verse 15, you march across the earth. See, God is holy. God is majestic. God intervenes. God holds things together. So let me ask you a question, though. Why is Habakkuk focusing on this? Because I, I know what you're thinking. My marriage is struggling. My finances are struggling. My career is a mess. I've not heard anything yet that helps. Be honest. That's what you're thinking, right? I mean, that's the temptation. We look at that and say, okay, that's all interesting, but... But what does that have to do with anything? How does what we just read fix my relationship? How does what I just read fix my finances? How does it change my marriage? How does it improve my home? How does it fix the sickness, the diagnosis that I've been given? How does what we've just read affect any of that? And that's what we want to know, right? How does God's Word impact how we view our circumstances? Well, this is where the third point is so crucial. Let me give you this in the last five minutes and we'll be done. Verse 17 through verse 19, we see that not only do we spend time in prayer and spend time in meditation, but thirdly, we spend time in praise. And this is one of the hardest challenges because we look and we say, I cannot praise in the middle of this. If you knew what I was going through, I would not be able to praise God. If, If you knew what I was facing, you would not tell me that I need to praise God. Look at verse 17. Now, this language may seem a little foreign, but I want you to understand the emotion and what he's actually communicating this. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Let's pause right there. Everything that he's saying so far is about his circumstances in life. He's saying, I have no possessions because all of everything mentioned in that verse has to do with possessions. He says, I have no career. My career is gone. My possessions are gone. My wealth is gone. He's basically saying, God, I have nothing. And he's at this place in his life where he feels as though he has nothing. He feels as though all of his friends have forsaken him. He's there all alone. He's in this valley. There's no light. There's no hope. But notice what he says in verse 18. Yet I will triumph in Yahweh. I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Look at verse 19. 
Yahweh, or God my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Here's the key. Let me summarize everything with this. What Habakkuk is pointing us to is a change in perspective. See, when you are focused on the circumstances and you are focused on the problems and you are focused on the valley and you are focused on the storms and you are focused on the pain that are all very real. And there's some of you here this morning that you feel the weight of that. What Habakkuk is pointing us to is to no longer focus on the circumstances and the problems but focus on God because it is your focus on God that changes how you view your circumstances. So everything we've talked about so far is all about how a focus on God changes your circumstances. When you see God for who he really is, you should be reminded that God's got this. You should be encouraged by the fact that he has not been caught off guard. See, this glimpse of God changes how you respond to your circumstances because now you're no longer walking into these circumstances saying, God, where are you? God, are you fair? God, are you aware? Why are you silent? You're walking into this with a perspective of God that says, God knows. And I want to tell you, no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are going through, no matter what pain you are feeling, no matter how bad things are, no matter how hopeless your situation seems you need to be assured that God knows. God's silence never indicates inactivity. God is aware of what you are facing. He knows the pain. He knows the pressure. Do not for a second think that God is unaware of what's taking place in your life. But here's the key. It is when you focus on God that your perspective of your circumstance changes. You have two options this morning. You can allow your circumstances to change your perspective of who God is, or you can allow your perspective of who God is and your view on God to change how you view your circumstances. Those are the only two options. And if you stare at the circumstances, your view of God will begin to adjust. However, if you focus on who God is, your view and perspective on your circumstances will begin to change. When you focus on God... Everything begins to change. Some of you are aware that Dana, there you are, um, when she was 15, she was diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia. And she went through two years of chemo. And, we're, and, and in, in November, she's going to tell her testimony in one of our um, services around Thanksgiving. But she's going to share all the details about that. But talking with her and her family, and she was treated at St. Jude and went through all the, the pain, and we went early in our marriage, we would go every year or two for checkups at St. Jude. And one of the challenging things about that is when you walk into St. Jude, it, there's kids everywhere battling cancer. And there's kids everywhere who are going through chemo and going through radiation. And I remember the first time that we walked in to St. Jude, and I'd never been there before. It was my first time going with her to one of these appointments, and I walk in, and there's almost a culture shock that takes place because you see parents pulling what is a, like a little red wagon around with their kids who don't have the strength to stand, who have lost all their hair from the treatment. And you look at that, and, and you begin to think, God, it's not fair. I mean, you got people committing horrible crimes. Why not give the disease to them, right? Why this 
five-year-old? Or why this 10-year-old? Or why, why this person? And you go through the halls and you hear some of the kids crying from the treatment that they're getting and they're sick and they can't eat. And I remember my first time there walking through the halls of St. Jude and seeing kid after kid after kid and parent after parent after parent who were in this situation where they had no control. They had no hope. In their mind, they're doing everything they can do, and they're, 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 they're exploring every option imaginable. But at the end of the day, they sit down, and they ultimately say, don't know what to do. And their hearts are breaking, looking at their child suffer. And I remember talking with Dana's family when she was going through this, and she had some very low days where... The, it was bleak. And I can't speak for every situation, but I know in the example of Dana how God has used that in her life to open up so many opportunities to talk with people. In fact, when we were in Ohio, we went to visit a couple where a young lady had just been diagnosed with leukemia. And so we, do you remember this? We go into the hospital there in Canton, Ohio, where we lived at the time, outside of Canton, Ohio. And we walk in and we sit down and the lady is crying and her husband is crying and just hours earlier received this diagnosis of cancer. And some of you have been there. You've received that diagnosis and you're wondering, what's next? We walk in and Dana talks with her and is able to answer her questions and minister. There's been some of you I've talked to have lost jobs unexpectedly. There's some of you that marriages are struggling. Career looks hopeless. But one of the things I've learned through visiting St. Jude, through hearing Dana's story, talking with many parents, is, is, is this truth. God never wastes anything. And the trial that you're going through and the pain that you're going through and the hurt that you're experiencing and the pressure that's on you right now when your perspective is one that says, I will focus on God and I will let my focus on God change how I view my circumstances, then you're in a position for God to use your circumstances rather than just being there wondering where, what's happening. And so the challenge for some of you this morning is, I think it's, it's simple but it's hard. The challenge for some of you this morning is to make the decision to no longer focus on the circumstance but focus on God to change your perspective and not allow, I mean, what happens is we look at the circumstance and then we wonder, God, how could you do this? Shift it around a little bit. Focus on God and ask the question, God, what are you wanting to do with this? The change in perspective affects everything. It affects your attitude. It affects your family. It affects your outlook. It affects your health. But rest assured, God never wastes anything. So focus on him. Ask the question, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Will you stand with me this morning? We're not going to sing this morning, but I do want to give you a chance to respond. And so I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then as the instruments play, we'll just keep our heads bowed. And if some of you, the pain is real this morning. The weight is there. The pressure is there. And you're wondering, what do I do? 
Here's the challenge. Focus your attention on God this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And even some of these passages that in books of the Bible that may seem that they really don't have anything for us, God, we learn that your truth is relevant to our lives. And God, my heart breaks this morning for those here who are facing pain. My heart breaks for those who are in this situation. They're in the valley and they're looking and they're saying, there is no hope. There's, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. In their mind, they're about ready to throw in the towel and give up because of the circumstances and the pressure of what they are facing is seemingly insurmountable. But God, I pray you'd give them the courage this morning to change their perspective off of the problem, off of the circumstance, and onto you. Help them to understand that you do not waste anything. And when their focus is on you, they can ask the question, God, what do you want to do with this? How do you want to use this in my life? But God, it requires that we focus our heart, our minds, our attention on you. God, there may be some people here who don't have a relationship with you. And so this concept of focusing on you really has no meaning because they don't know what you have done for them through the person of Jesus Christ. I pray you'd help them to know that there is salvation and forgiveness and hope that is available through what Christ has done. God, this all should remind us of how much you love us. Even in the pain and even in the difficulties, you have not forgotten about us. You love us, you care for us, and you have a plan for us. And I pray that our focus on you would help us to see that more clearly. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that we've been strengthened and encouraged, and maybe that we'll leave with a different perspective that says, God, whatever you're doing in my life, I want you to use it for your honor and your glory and that we would respond in a way that allows that to happen. We love you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.